there's nothing beyond us just worshiping you, Lord. There's no, there's no end beyond that, Lord. We exist, we were made, we were created for the purpose of worshiping you, Lord. And Father, I pray that the desire of our hearts, not just on Sunday mornings here, but every moment of every day would be to worship you. With every breath that's in our lungs, Lord, with the way that we serve you, with the uh, assignments that you've set before us to do, the people that you've set before us to love and to serve and to lay down our lives for. God, I pray that it would all be just a sweet, fragrant aroma of worship to you, Lord Jesus. Um, Lord, we love you. And, uh, and Lord, we want to do now what we're going to be doing forever in heaven. And that is worshiping you, Lord Jesus. We, we just pray, Father, that you would inhabit the praises of your people this morning. Would you please come and just speak to us, God, because we need you. We need you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Good morning, guys. If you got your Bibles, grab them and go to uh, Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4. We've spent the last several weeks in the Psalms, 1, 2, and 3. Today we're at 4. So I want to jump right in, and I just want to show you something about kind of the context and the structure of the psalm, because I think it it helps us to understand and to frame how we're to kind of read it and what the aim, what the aim of it is. Okay, so Psalm chapter four, a couple things. First of all, remember last week from Psalm chapter three that uh, in Psalm chapter three it says very explicitly at the beginning of the psalm that David wrote this when he was fleeing from Absalom. Absalom was his son. Absalom had kind of usurped the kingdom, usurped the throne, kind of had this rebellion, and David is on the run, and he writes that uh, Psalm chapter three in the midst of that. Almost all commentators, although it's not as explicit in this one, agree that Psalm chapter four was probably also written as David was on the run from Absalom. Psalm three was one that he wrote in the morning. They get that from verse five of Psalm chapter 3 where he says, I lay down and slept, I woke again for the Lord sustained me. And Psalm chapter 4, they believe is what they call an evening psalm where he writes it uh, and you'll see at the, at the very last verse of Psalm chapter 4 verse 8, it says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That this was David's kind of rhythm that he would have uh, praise to the Lord in the morning and then he would praise the Lord um, and pray as he went to bed in the evening. And so the context being that uh, it was, he was probably on the run from Absalom, and he was writing this as he was getting ready to go to bed. Secondly, you'll look at the, at the beginning of Psalm chapter 4, even before verse 1, and again, this is part of the inspired text. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. So David wrote this, you know, kind of out of his angst that he was feeling on the run, but then later on he put it, he put it to music. It is a song. It is a song that people throughout history have prayed and they, they have sung together to the Lord. And now, let me just jump in and read the text, and I want to show you something as we read it in terms of who David is addressing, because this is interesting uh, to me and a little bit unique among the Psalms, although you do see it some other places. Verse 1, just read along with me. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Okay, stop. Who is David talking to? Who's he talking to? Yeah, he's talking to God. Very good. It wasn't a trick question. You're like, is this a trick question? No, it's not a trick question. Okay, but it might get a little trickier as we go on here. Okay, so verse 2. 
He says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Okay, stop. Who's David talking to now? Okay, not God anymore. We know that, right? And he seems to be talking to some sort of enemies or these people that are watching him, these people that are looking at his life. And it seems to be enemies because they're speaking lies about him. Verse 3, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? They're shaming him. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies about David? Now, let's go back to verse 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say who will show us some good. Now again, who's he talking to? And this one is a little bit trickier. I think, and, and the commentators, as you read this, it's a little bit spread out. Um, most people think, he is, or some think, that he's still speaking to his enemies who are mocking him. But I, I tend to think and lean more towards that in verses 4 through 6, he's more addressing the people that are around him. He still has a large group of people that are following him, that have been loyal to him. And they're watching his life, and they're being wronged along with him because of their allegiance to David. And he's saying to them, Let's be angry, but do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts upon your beds and be silent. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, especially verse 5. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. I don't think David would even really be appealing to his enemies to do this, although maybe, although, although maybe. Um, and then in the middle of verse 6 or 6b on through the rest of the chapter, he says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Who's David talking to now again? God, yeah. And so I point all that out, again, a little bit, because this is what really, again, as I'm studying the text each week, I'm just constantly thinking context, 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 what's going on, how's, because um, all, all that matters and helps and to rightly divide the word of truth. But it's a song David's on the run, and he's talking to God. He's talking to God at the beginning, and he's talking to God at the end. But in the middle here, he seems to be speaking to his enemies and to this audience, maybe this people that are watching him and some of his followers. And it just hit me how so much of David's life and one of the ways in which he can instruct us and help us is that he went through some really serious trials and difficulties in his life. And he didn't just go through them, though, by himself on an island. He went through those difficulties in front of people. He was the king. People knew him. All eyes were on him. And even now, as his kingdom seems to have been, you know, kind of swept out from under him, everybody's looking for him. And, and I, I don't know, I can just get a witness here this morning that it's one thing to go through difficulties, right? But it's another thing to go through those difficulties knowing that people are watching you. And I don't know about you, but like for me, when difficulties come, there can be a part of me that's like, okay, Lord, you told me in this world we're going to have much trouble, but take heart, I'll overcome the world. You, you said things are going to be difficult. You said everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But can I just like pull aside and go be by myself somewhere? You ever want to do that? 
This past year, is, as, as our, and, and listen, everybody's, you know, got different stuff going in their lives. I'm no worse off than anybody else. Everybody's got, got just stuff, you know. But, but as my family's been going through some stuff this past year, I, I've told people, and I've probably told many of you as I've talked with you, there's been so many times where I've just been like, I've just been looking for the pause button. Because these things are coming, and I just want to pause life. And like things are difficult, and they're hard, and I'm like, okay, like I, I think I, we, we, I can handle this, Lord, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this, but can I just, you know, stop everything for a second, and just hit pause, and just pull back, and, and try to figure this out with you? But we can't do that, right? Kids need to go to school. Bills continue to need to be paid, and so you got to continue to go to work. And for me, you know, Sunday's always coming. Another sermon needs to be needs to be prepared. And for each one of us, as we go through difficulties, guys, to, to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Christ, and disciple is essentially a learner or follower, but to be a disciple is also to be a leader. Because people are watching us. People are watching our lives. And when things get difficult, although absolutely there are times where we just need to regroup and you know, get some friends around us and ask for help and readjust our lives and stuff like that, but we can't just hit pause. We can't pull away from the world. It's in the midst of difficulty that God wants us to both seek Him, to be honest, to be sincere, to cry out in desperation, but to do it in such a way that a watching world knows that there is still hope. Amen? There's hope. There's always hope in Jesus. And so, I, I just, as, as I kind of noticed that about the text this week, about how it's just unique in that he's singing to God, he's talking at the beginning and at the end, but in the middle, he addresses this other group of people. I, it seemed like there were just kind of four things to me that kind of rose out of the text that David did that um, I think are helpful in helping us understand how to live a life that honors and glorifies God, that gives the message to the watching world and those around us, those that we're called to lead, um, that there's always hope in God, even when things are difficult and you don't have answers in that, in that moment. What do we do? I hope David can help us this morning. I believe he will. Number one, root your identity, your life, all that you are, Root it, establish it in the gospel, in the gospel. I know we're talking Old Testament here. You don't see the word gospel anywhere in the Old Testament, but some of you have heard me use this little rhymey cliche before, and it's very important in helping us understand how all of Scripture fits together. It says that the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. Okay, so speaking of the two Testaments, the New Testament, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. That it has always been that the righteous shall live by faith, from first to last. And even though this is before Jesus comes, here in verse 1 of Psalm chapter 4, you see David, he has a gospel-centered outlook, and he is rooting his identity in the gospel of who God is for him. And you can't get any more clear than this. Verse 1, he says, answer me when I call, O God of my what? Righteousness. God of my righteousness. David is not looking to himself for righteousness. 
He is looking away from himself and towards God to give him a righteousness. Guys, this is at the heart of the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Why is this righteousness so important? Paul says in the next verse, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's you and I. There's none righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek for God. All have turned aside. That's the testimony of the Bible about all of us, natural man, apart from the Spirit of Jesus Christ working in our hearts to receive the gospel and to believe in him. And David has the same outlook here. He says, God, in the midst of this trial, I don't have any righteousness. I'm not looking to myself. And I ask you this morning, where are you getting your identity from this morning? Where is your life, where is your identity rooted and grounded at this morning? It's so easy, guys, to take on another primary identity other than the identity that we are given in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That before I am a husband, before I am a father, before I am a pastor, as important as all those things are, in whatever roles you have, as a, as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a leader, as a business owner, as a teacher, as whatever, wherever you're at, <coughs> there are other identities, but they cannot be primary, guys. First and foremost, our identity, our life has to be rooted and established in the gospel. And David is looking away from himself here, and he's looking towards God for his righteousness. He says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. And then not only his righteousness, but he's trusting in the grace of God. The end of verse one, he says, be what? Be gracious to me. Be gracious to me. And hear, and hear my prayer. Guys, if your identity, if your life is built upon some image that either you have built or that you've tried to create for yourself or that sometimes it has been thrust upon you, from outside of you, and people just said, you've gotta be this, you've gotta be this, you've gotta be this. In the midst of trial, one of the ways that we impart hope is not by trying to be, not by trying to be something that we're not, but by looking towards God. Guys, I can't, and I can't, you know, apply it to your own life as the shoe fits, I guess, but I cannot tell you how practically, functionally, important and precious this truth is to me every single week. And, and I'm just, I just want to testify to God and his grace because every single week, like I said earlier, it feels like as life picks up and goes faster and kids get older and all that stuff, it's like every single week, Sunday's coming. And not every week, but most weeks, you know, it's my responsibility to prepare a sermon and to get something together. And, you know, and, and I, man, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, it's, I just am thankful um, for the opportunity that God has given. But man, I'll tell you, it is absolutely death and life-sucking and robs me of joy when I think that every week, Eric, you better be a good pastor. Eric, you better put together a good sermon. 
Eric, you better make sure they kind of laugh at your jokes this week in the midst of the sermon and get their attention and make sure they're with you and communicate. Like, it just, woof, that is a weight that I cannot carry. That's a weight that no pastor can carry. And listen, I'm not just, it, it's not just, whatever your deal is, wherever you've been placed, whatever the, the, the identity that the world wants to make primary for you, guys, the gospel says you don't have to carry that. We are first and foremost his children. And he loves us and he cares for us and he delights in us. And every week, I don't have to be anybody's savior. You don't have to be anybody's savior. Yeah, we serve. We want to lay down our lives. We want to, we want to follow Jesus and be his hands and feet. But in the end, our righteousness is not our own. It's in Christ. And his grace is sufficient for us. Amen? Man, that's the only way to survive. Well, you know, have you guys ever watched the movie Ice Age? It's a cartoon. So if you guys, if you got kids, I see the moms and dads nodding their heads. Some of you adults watched it too, just because you liked it. So, uh, uh, me too. Anyway. And there's like, I don't know, there's like five of them now. Like, they just keep making them. Five or six, they keep making sequels. But the other night, <coughs> we'd not watched it in a while. And I don't know which number it is, like maybe two or three or something. But we watched, as a family, Ice Age Dawn of the Dinosaurs. And in this one, uh, you know, there's three main characters. There's Manny the Mammoth, Sid the Sloth, and Diego the Tiger. And um, yes, and I didn't have to write that down in my notes. I just know their names because I've watched it so many times. But, um, but Manny, you know, the whole deal is like, Manny is like the biggest guy on earth. He's this woolly mammoth. And uh, like nobody messes with Manny because there's just nothing as big as him. Uh, but in this one, the dawn of the dinosaurs, they go down this hole, like into this cave that somebody discovers, and they fall down into this secret underground world of the dinosaurs. You're like, how is that possible? It's a cartoon. Don't try to figure it out. It's just, well, you know, I don't know. But that's what happens. And man, down there, even though up top in his little world, Manny is like, he's the biggest thing alive. Nobody messes with him. Down there, almost every single creature is 10 times bigger than he is. And so all of a sudden, his identity of being the strongest, of being the protector, of being able to have everything together and protect his little clan of Diego and, and his wife, who's also a mammoth, and, but anyway, and you know, Sid the Sloth and all these guys, like, all of a sudden, he can't, he's nothing down in this world. And I tell you what, like, that's the way we have to understand that if we're going to lead in whatever capacity God has allowed us to do so. Uh, we have to lead not out of our own righteousness, out of our own strength. Because quite honestly, um, in the world uh, you know, that's around us and, and the spiritual realm, where the Bible says that we fight an enemy that uh, never sleeps, he's always watching game film on us, he's always trying to trip us up, uh, we need to look somewhere else for our identity because we won't survive in that world. Um, because apart from Christ, we're, we're nothing there. So the first thing David, I think, gives us an example of is that, again, just that we need to look away, away from ourselves and towards the gospel and have our identity in what Christ says of us. Secondly, um, and again, just very practically, he says that and shows us that we need to confront the lies of the enemy. And again, verses 2 and 3 here he turns now, and he's not speaking to God. 
but he's speaking to these men. And, and I don't know if some of you guys have this footnote in your Bible, but mine just says, O men, but then there's a footnote that says, O men of rank. So these are guys that are important. These are maybe other kings, other rulers, other generals in his army, and some of them have gone with Absalom now, and they're kind of rebelling against him. And he says, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? And what specifically were the lies that they were telling? I think it explains it in verse 3. He says, but know that God has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. I think the lies that they were speaking about David is God has forsaken him. God doesn't listen to him anymore. God does not hear his prayers. It's because of his ungodliness and he sinned with Bathsheba. Now God has brought this, all these, these judgments upon him and see even his own household is rising up against him. God has forsaken him. God doesn't hear him anymore. Do you guys ever hear those lies in your head? Do you ever hear those lies? That God doesn't really love you? That he doesn't really care for you? You can pray all you want. It's not gonna do a bit of good. I do. And the reason that is, again, is because we have a very real enemy. And all lies, even if other people are speaking lies about us, and that's kind of what's going on here, but again, I want to pull this out and apply it to our own hearts. And again, very biblically, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, against other men and women. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, just as we talked in verse 1, looking away from yourself towards this righteousness, this, this armor that God gives. And the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness by, of the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. Guys, you know what the Bible says we are to do with every single thought that comes into our mind? You know what we're supposed to do with it? We're to take it captive and to make it obedient to Christ. And here's what that word means. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's one of the ways that we demolish strongholds, the things in our life that keep us bound, okay? Which in the end is ultimately demonic. Sin habits is what they look like, but in the end it's demonic. And Paul says one of the ways that we tear that down is by the renewing of our mind and by taking every thought captive. And here's the idea. It's the idea of like a thought comes in and then you just pause for a second. You're like, wait a minute, where'd that come from? And you kind of take it, and it's the idea of like you put it in a cage, and then you just kind of walk around it. And you, you begin to look at it. You begin to think about what you were just thinking. You say, wait a minute. Is this true or is this not true? Is this what God says of me? Or where's this coming from? Is this coming from the enemy? We are to take every thought captive and make it, it says then, obedient to Christ. How do we make it obedient to Christ? We look at it for what it says, and if it's not from God's word, then we say, oh, no, 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 no. I know where you're coming from. And see, this is what David is doing here with these enemies that are speaking lies. And I think it's a good picture of how we're to deal with the lies of our enemy, the devil, who wants to constantly bind us and create these strongholds in our life by just simply gobbling up his lies and not taking every thought captive. Um, 
the good news of the gospel is that God, part of it is that God has given us truth. And what he says is true is really true. And we've got to choose to believe it. And guys, it's sometimes, and you see David doing this here, it's hard to go forward until you just stop and you just address the lies. And I have no doubt this morning that there's many in here that you need to do this. You really need to do what I'm talking about. You have things in your life that are keeping you bound and they're difficult. And man, I, they're called strongholds for a reason. I get it. It's hard and they are strong and they've got a hold. But whom the sun, sun sets free is free indeed. And the Bible says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And one of the means that he has given in order for us to find freedom is to have the truth of this word, to renew our minds, to take a look at the lies from the enemy that we're believing, and then deal with them and speak the truth and over and over and over again, choose to believe the truth and take those things captive and make them obedient to Christ until they're tore down. This is the battle that we're in, guys. This is why we're given a sword. This is why we're given an offensive weapon. That we put up the shield of faith when the enemy fires his fiery arrows and darts at us. Lies and accusations, we not true. And we get out the truth of the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and we wield it to take him down and to declare what is true. And sometimes we just don't want to take the time to address the enemy. But guys, you've got to. You've got to. Jesus talked straight up to the devil when he was tempted in the wilderness. Right after his baptism, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days and was tested, and he overcame every temptation of the enemy. And by the end, Satan is talking directly to him. And you know what he does? He quotes the word of God. He takes the sword of the Spirit and he deals with it. Back in the day, I mean, when I was little, like uh, elementary age, we had a little neighborhood. There's couple of other friends of mine that lived close by, and we played a lot of basketball. I had a basketball hoop in my house in the driveway, but we had a gravel driveway. And uh, so, you, you know, balls, you're bouncing, and all of a sudden it shoots over here, and that's why I still can't dribble well to this day. But, um, but we played a lot of basketball, but our, we had a neighbor, and it was really nice. Um, his name was, their names were Max and Ann Miller, and uh, Max passed away several years ago. I think Ann moved out of the area. Anyway. They had a cement driveway with a basketball hoop, and their kids were older and growing, and not only did they have that, but they had, like, the three-point line and everything drawn on it. And so me and the other neighborhood boys, we would love to go up there and shoot hoops because it was really nice. But there was just one problem. They had a dog, and the dog, it was a husky, but understand, to elementary-age boy, like, this was a wolf, okay? This was straight up. It was, they had a pet wolf. I don't know how it was legal, but that's just what, we were sure that's what happened. His name was Bruni. And so sometimes he'd be out and sometimes he wouldn't. We, and they were nice. We liked to go up there and shoot hoops, but sometimes Bruni would be out. And it's like, we'd be shooting hoops and all of a sudden there'd come Bruni and we're like, oh, it's the wolf. You know, like what, what do we, and so we'd kind of freeze and we were kind of scared and eventually we'd just kind of go away because we just couldn't, we just couldn't focus. We just couldn't play. We just couldn't, we were distracted by the wolf Bruni always, always over there. Till one day, one day, we were playing and and uh, this thing came up and you know I was, I was just like, this has gone on long enough, okay? If he eats me, he eats me, you know. But I'm gonna play basketball, day gone it, and not be worried about this thing. And so we just went over to Bruni, and we just got down, and you know, kind of 
held out our hand. We're like, you might bite it off, but he didn't. And he came over and he said, you know, we petted him. And then we were like, he wasn't going to eat us. Yay. And so then we were able to go on and deal with it. And guys, and I just feel, you know, again, I just feel like this is a word for somebody this morning. Is it you've got some lies in your life that are keeping you bound and keeping you afraid and you're just having a hard time living life because this thing is over here intimidating you. And I'm telling you, not in your own strength, but by the grace of God, in his grace and in all his promises, what you need to do is you need to get right down, you need to look that thing right in the eye. And you need to say, okay, if you're gonna eat me, that's fine. But either way, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not living like this anymore. I'm not gonna live in fear. And enemy, all these lies, you know what? Some of them are true. I am a sinner, I have messed up, I have, you know, David, I mean, sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, ordered a hit on her husband. David had some big stuff that he could have rightly felt very guilty about and let that rule his life. But there comes a time when you have to look the enemy square in the eye and say, well, you know, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I know who I am in Christ. I mean, guys, this is, and this does not sound like there, there's a level in which people might think that you sound a little bit arrogant, but it's not. Not when you understand the gospel. I mean, look what David says in verse three. But know this, that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And then notice the, the implication here, the next line. The Lord hears when I call to him. David's saying, I am godly and God hears me. He hears my prayers. How can he say this? Is this not arrogant? Not when you're looking away from yourself and towards God for righteousness. Not when your identity is rooted and established in the gospel, guys. Man, when we, when we have this, and guys, in Christ, here's what I want to tell you this morning. You don't have to seek for this. If you know Jesus as your Savior, this is true of you. What I'm saying to you is stop letting the enemy rule your life. Stop it. Deal with it. Look it in the eye. And listen, I'm not trying to make this sound overly simplistic. And I, you know, Eric, you don't know how hard it is. And I try. Get some people around you. Get in good biblical Christian community. Tell them your struggle. And then look the enemy in the eye and speak the truth of God to it. That's what David does. That's how we impart hope to our own hearts and to the world that is watching us. <coughs> Deal with the lies of the enemy. Thirdly, and this is interesting, and again, I think very practical, he calls those around him, those that are watching his life, those who are under his care, possibly his enemies too. Um, It doesn't really matter if you apply it to them or not, but he calls them to search their hearts and to seek to obey. To search their hearts and to seek to obey. To say it another way, he calls them to pursue inward reflection and to pursue outward obedience. Look at verses four and five. He says, be angry. And so it's just, the idea here is tremble, but this is a verse that Paul quotes in Ephesians chapter four about not letting the sun go down on your anger, on your anger. be angry and do not sin. So he says, be angry and do not sin. Like, like we're angry, like we, we're being wrong here. Absalom and his crew has wronged us. Like I understand why you're angry, but David said, so let's, not, let's not sin in our anger. Anger can be a natural emotion sometimes, but let's not allow it to cause us to become sinful. Then he says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Search your heart. 
Inward reflection. Again, David's calling people to this. He's saying this to the people that are watching his life, but obviously he's modeling this himself as well. He wouldn't be saying it otherwise. Search your heart. And then verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. This is the idea here of just simply, we're pursuing obedience. In the end, God, one of the things we need to do and just come back to one of the things we need to remember in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulties, just trust and obey, trust and For there's no other, sorry, I tried to sing that and it wasn't working. Trust and obey, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know the song. Sorry, that was a terrible, that was an epic fail. Um, But however that melody line goes, to just simply trust and obey, to search your heart. And guys, this is a little bit heavy, but I want to tell this to you in love today, okay? Every week, I don't know Apart from my own heart, and my own heart can be deceptive sometimes, I don't know right now who of you truly are saved and who's not. Like, I don't know that. I mean, I, I think I do. You know, Jesus said, you know them by their fruits. I know you guys love Jesus, and I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm like constantly judging your heart. Is that person saved or not? Like that? It's not what I'm talking about. But in the end, I don't know the condition of your heart, whether or not you've truly been born again and love Jesus. And one of the things that the Bible calls us to and that that it tells us and David is telling us here is that each one of us, guys, has got to search our hearts to know whether or not we are truly in Christ. And listen, nobody else can do that for you. I want to challenge you. I want to continually point you back to that to your relationship with the Lord, whether or not you truly love him or whether you're just playing church. But in the end, you have got to do business with the Lord in your own heart. And I love the way David says this here because I just think this is very true to life. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. As you're laying down, getting ready to go to sleep at night, do you ever have something that just that you've tried to push out of your mind? And it's something that you just need to deal with, that you just need to make a phone call about or have a conversation about or go ask forgiveness for or something like that. Each one of us needs to search our own hearts to see whether or not we're truly in Christ, but also as Christians if we are in Christ. When the Lord is pressing something on your heart, guys, you've got to be obedient to that. You know, Paul says to the Corinthian church, again, just in, in really here he's speaking of salvation, Anybody speaking it to people in the church, like they were part of the church. But he, say, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. Paul calls the church to search their hearts. And I think David is doing it here, again, for himself but also for those around him. And I would say this morning for us, for myself and for you. Guys, let's search our hearts. And if we want the Lord to use us, if we want God to be glorified, if we want to be delivered from strongholds, and if we want to see him do through us all the things that he promises to do, then we have to be honest about what's going on in our hearts. Because God sees it all. 
And he saw it all before he ever did it all, and he still sent his son to die for you. He's not surprised by it, but please, don't play games. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and be silent. And then selah. Just rest. Think about that. Offer right sacrifices. Pursue obedience. Run after that which is correct. But in the end, put your trust in the Lord. And then verse 6 here, he says, (coughs) There are many who say, who will show us some good. And so this is very likely the people that are around him, the people that are still with him. Uh, most commentators say that it, it, essentially what they're saying here in the original languages is, is things are difficult right now. But they're saying, oh, for the good old days. Oh, we long for the good old days. You ever long? Oh, the good old days. Um, those days when we, back when things were simpler or better or everything was easy. And... I love what David does here, and this is kind of the last thing that I think is exemplary for us, for how we're to live a life that imparts hope and shows that we're disciples, even in the midst of difficulty with a world watching on, is that in the end, the thing that we need to be seeking above all else is the very presence of God. That's what we need to be after. David here, in the midst of kind of their cries and this question that they're saying, who will show us some good? Oh, can we not go back to the good old days? David, will you not take us back? David, will you not be our leader? Will you not take us back to how it used to be? Back when we used to sing our songs that Saul was slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. It's like in the midst of that, David just kind of interrupts and he cries out to God, not just for God to deliver them, but for the very presence of God. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. This is, a, this is a, a heartfelt cry for nothing less than the very glory of God to come into their situation and for God to be the satisfier of their souls. It's called the Aaronic blessing, and this comes from Numbers chapter 6, okay? As the people of Israel, God brought them through Exodus, they're getting ready to go in, they're going to end up being disobedient, but right before they send in the spies and they come back and they're all scared, God, just in his goodness, after all that he's done for them, in delivering them from Pharaoh and from the Egyptians, he brings them out and he's getting ready to send them into this promised land, and he, he says, here's what I, Moses, here's what I want Aaron to speak over the people, This is Numbers chapter 6, and this is where David is is getting this from. He says, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then he says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This is the heart of God. The greatest thing that God could possibly give us, guys, is himself, his very presence. And I ask you this morning, is that what you want more than anything else, more than deliverance here? I mean, I think David knows that, you know, when the presence of God comes, like, they'll, they'll, they'll be delivered. I'm sure that's a part of it. But let's not aim too low. Guys, God calls us to be a people that seek his face, his very presence throughout history. Everybody who has ever made a great impact for the kingdom, great leaders, just throughout the Bible especially. The number one desire of their hearts was not just for what God could do, but was for God himself. They talked this way. 
You know, in, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings. Moses, another great man of God, in Exodus chapter 33, God comes down on Mount Sinai, and you guys remember this when we went through the book of Exodus? a couple years ago, and they're trembling and they don't want to approach and everything's scary, but Moses, with all his boldness, he goes up into the presence of God. He goes, he enters in to the dark cloud and God is speaking with him. And, G and Moses says, he says, if your presence will not go with me, he says, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct I and your people, from every other tribe on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken of, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And then Moses says this, I love it, it's, it's so bold, it's so brash. Even after God promises to send his presence with him, he, Moses just says, please, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Joshua, who was Moses' assistant, you guys know the story. They don't go into the promised land. They wander for 40 years as part of the punishment for that. Moses, uh, God takes him up on a mountain and says, here it is, I'm about to take you in. But then he kills him up there. He dies. Joshua leads them in. But again, Joshua, another leader who loved just the presence and the glory of God. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. All I have to say is that the tent, the tabernacle, was the place where God used to meet with Moses. And Moses would meet with God and speak to him face to face, but then Moses would go back to the camp, but Joshua would, ju would just stay there. And I'm telling you guys, the mark of every person that's ever had an impact, that God has had an impact through for his kingdom and made a difference in their world, this is what's marked them, is that above all else, they wanted to see the glory of God. And I ask you this morning, is that the desire of your heart. You know, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for a heart that is turned upward. I love that image. That God's looking, is there anybody who's just looking for me? Is there anybody who just wants me? And it's not arrogant to say, man, I'm a sinner like everybody else, but to say, I want to be one of those people. And I want us collectively as a church, to have that heart. Again, David, later on in the Psalms, Psalm 27, he says, one thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. That's what they wanted. Worship to me and come up. We'll begin to close. The idea here as you close the Psalm is that 
God is pleased with David's request just for more of his presence. And he goes on and he says then, as he gets ready to lay down his head and sleep, verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The result of living this type of life in the midst of difficulty with a world watching on where we, you know, root ourselves in the gospel and where we deal with the lies of the enemy and take those things captive, where we call people and we model inward reflection and outward obedience and just pursuing those things to simply trust and obey, and where we cry out for the presence of God. In the end, the result is that we get joy, we get peace, and we're going to be able to rest. We're going to be able to rest in Him. Guys, our job as disciples, not just for us at Mercy Hill, but everywhere, above all else, is to make much, to make much of Jesus. And that does not mean that we, that we have to make him something that he's not. He is glorious. But we glorify him by satisfying ourselves in him, by showing the world that we have no other desire than him, him himself. Not just what he can do, but who but who he is. And again, the context of this psalm and the way we've kind of framed it and the, the context for our lives and the application this morning is that if you find yourself in the midst of trial and difficulty and not really being sure what to do or how to maneuver, and, you know, but life keeps going, you can't hit that pause button and things are difficult, the thing that I just want to call you to this morning is to above all else, remember, remember what's most important. And that is that you, every single day, are called to love Jesus Christ with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And to seek not just his hand, but his face. You know, um, one of the things I'll I'll share, well, I just kind of prayed it as we were praying this morning in the prayer room uh, before we came out here was, it's just a little phrase that's been kind of, you know how in different seasons sometimes the Lord will just give you a little, maybe a little phrase, and I just, it's just the phrase that's been in my mind for the last couple months. It's just, and, and that is that he wants to be, guys, he wants to be the strength of your heart. And so I've just been praying that, Lord, and I don't, be the strength of our hearts. And I think the thing that, for me, that little phrase kind of means is just that outwardly, guys, we may be nothing. Outwardly, we may not be all that smart. We may not be all that educated. At least I know I'm not. We may not be all that impressive. How power, prestige. But it is not arrogance and it's not sinful pride. Say, you know what though? The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. And daggone it, as crazy as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds, He loves me and He loves you as much as He loves anybody else in the whole world. And if you think that's arrogant, then you probably don't fully get the gospel because it's not arrogant, it's awesome. It's absolutely amazing. It's what makes the gospel the gospel. It means good news that Jesus Christ, in his mercy, because of the cross, guys, he has chosen to love us, to set his affection on us, not because of anything that we have done, but just because he wanted to. Amen? It's incredible. 
And what I want for us more than anything else is for us to every single day of our lives delight ourselves, satisfy ourselves in this reality that God would be glorified through our satisfaction in Him every single day. Saying, God, I want to see your face. Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O God. Let us be a people that are marked by his presence. Amen? And I'm telling you that in the midst of difficulty, if we pray that and if we seek God that way, guys, I don't know exactly what he's going to do, but he's going to do something. He's going to do something. One of the people I probably prayed with more than anybody else over the, well, probably in my life, over the, just over the years, just known him for a long time, is, is Joe Duarte, and we've spent a lot of times in, just a lot of time in prayer together. And one of the things I appreciate about Joe that he'll ask sometimes as we're, as we're praying, he's like, what could we pray right now that God just absolutely could, how, that God would absolutely have to answer? Or he'll say, how, what, what could we pray that God could not refuse to answer? And whenever you ask that question, it's helpful. And Again, one of the things that I think um, that God will never refuse to answer in some way, shape, or form is this prayer right here. God, lift up the light of your face upon us. Make your presence shine upon us for your honor and your glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. God, I pray that you would be the strength of our hearts. I pray that you would help us to be bold in you, not in ourselves. I pray that we would be absolutely amazed with the fact that you love us. And you don't just love us a little bit. You don't love us with some sort of like second or third degree love. But you love us as much as you loved your son Jesus. And I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that, Lord. But your word says that it's true. And I pray for those this morning that are struggling to believe that you could love them that much. Father, I pray that your spirit would let them know right now how wide and how long and how high and how deep your love for them is. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand with me. Again, we come to the Lord's table today. <clears throat> this is how we know that he loves us. His word says,